Welcome to the podcast series Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafta, and today I'll be chatting with Boothle Gosla, Africa CEO of Jumo World. Jumo is a full technology stack for building and running financial services. They use advanced data science and machine learning to create the fastest and leanest financial services infrastructure. Their partners use their technology stack to offer savings, lending and insurance products to entrepreneurs in the emerging markets. Hi, Boothle. Morning. Morning. So lovely to be here. How are you today? I'm doing really well, doing really well. You're up early. It sounds like you're an early riser. I am, uh, not by design. I have become one out of necessity. Yeah. I remember when we were planning this podcast, you were like, how early is early for you? And I was like, yeah. uh, <laughs> what, what time's your, your average wake up? Um, so I, um, I'm actually trying to get about seven to eight hours of sleep at the moment. Um, okay. So I'm waking up uh, slightly later, around 5.30 or quarter to six. That's later. Yeah. I don't want to know what earlier is. Earlier is just sleepless nights thinking okay. about all the things that can go wrong with whatever launch you're working on. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a dream. Well, I'm really excited to learn about your journey and essentially what led you to become Africa CEO of Jumo World. I'm really excited to to share um, about that and uh, yeah, ready to dive in and <laughs> and share a bit more of the story. Please, let, let me, I want to hear it. Great. So I, I think, um, you know, for me, right from the beginning, I've always been interested in um, how things can fit together, uh, how you build things. And mm. um, and that hasn't necessarily always been in, in, um, in financial services. I actually um, had my start uh, working for a, a travel tech company um, before we actually called it travel tech um and uh, and really what we were trying to do was make uh, travel more available to the man on the street but also what we wanted to mm-hmm. do was to make the opportunity the business opportunity of travel available to more smes uh across africa right um and um and that was just a, a fantastic uh, opportunity to understand an industry and a system who gets uh, included, who gets left behind. And I became incredibly passionate about that. I became passionate about um, helping young graduates enter the industry and build careers. So people from previously disadvantaged backgrounds. And um, I just kind of grew from there. And I think, uh, you know, in in the second phase of my career, I then moved on to financial services. And I was um, surprised actually to see how we had so many of the same problems Mm. where products uh, were not being designed for the many, right, and needed to be adapted. And it's not just about shrinking the product, right? It's about understanding what those customers need. So it was exactly the same issue that we had faced in tourism, like how do you make it available to the man on the street or you have to change the product. Um, Also realizing that um, just like in tourism, when it comes to the actual business and who makes money from that business, it was also exclusive, right? And so um, really thinking about how you uh, allow more people to to participate and unlock more opportunities. Um, And one of the things which was obviously a common thread uh, in in both of these industries that I I worked in was um, technology. 
and what that can do. Um, The second thing that um, they all had in common was the importance of having the right data in order to shape the product correctly, right? Whether it's pricing it, where to distribute it, how to distribute it, information was so, so critical. The last thing was about capital, right? Because, um, you know, he who has the capital makes the rules. And so if, you know, small businesses don't have capital or, you know, startups, you have to think very innovatively to access the right capital at the right cost in order to be able to to participate. Um, And so, um, you know, as I became more interested in kind of the more systemic challenges of financial services, I think the natural transition for me was to move from um, the bigger corporate uh, banking and retail financial services environment into a startup. And um, I actually, you know, met uh, Andrew Watkins Ball, who's the the group CEO of Jumo, quite by accident as I was going through this exploration. I was doing my um, MBA dissertation um, on the issue of financial inclusion. Mm. And um, Jumo was one of the companies that I was interviewing. And some of the people that I met there were very eager that I, I meet him for a coffee and just a chat. And 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 that uh, that evolved into him saying, you know, you've got to join us. This is, uh, you know, I think that uh, our thinking around the customer and, uh, and where we need to take, uh, you know, financial services on the continent is, is super aligned. And, and that's really how I, I joined Jumo and, um, and started to build my career there. That's awesome. That happened by chance and everything happens in in such a funny way. We were chatting last week about the different units you build throughout your career and throughout different businesses. You learned about being an entrepreneur at the age of 23 when you built the business division in China from scratch with your travel tech business. It it seems that the, the theme throughout your career has been building units from the ground up. What are the steps you take to, to see these units succeed. Yeah, so that's true. That That's definitely uh, been a, a theme in, in, in my career. I think that, um, you know, it starts with first recognizing that there is a gap that needs to be filled, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that it is, it is a gap that's um, large enough, right? That there's a big enough problem to solve and um, that it is it is something that will have longevity and continued benefit. Um, I suppose it, it it is often when you're building units within a business, it's a form of entrepreneurship, right? So you mm. you have to think about um, you know what is the value that this will create for this organization in in the long term because you have to sell it, you know. Um, and when when I was 23 and um, I went to um, the founder of the travel tech company that I worked for, um, you know, he, 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 he is a French guy and he was kind of like, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, there is this emerging opportunity in China. We had predominantly been operating um, in Europe uh, at the time. Um, I did have a, a Japan portfolio already. So mm-hmm. what I wanted to do was to, to expand that to, to cover more of Asia. I had my numbers um, and I think with, with any opportunity, you've got to show that, um, you know, the, you're leaning into an opportunity with large numbers, right? Um, and I had a very clear business case. So I think that's the first thing. Um, then I think the second thing is um, 
being able to um, to show that you have the ability to bring in the right skills and capabilities to attack that opportunity. Um, and, you know, I had actually identified um, some Mandarin speaking consultants who could join my team. So I had really done my homework around how this would work. I had uh, reached out to a couple of the wholesale um, tourism companies. Uh, I had uh, connected with the um, South African tourism uh, agency as well. And so with anything, you have to show that, um, you know, this is not just kind of a pie in the sky idea. It yeah, needs a to lot of research feel, backed up. Exactly. It needs to feel real to whoever you're selling it to, right? Um, and And I think that's important. But I think the other thing that you always need to think very carefully about, just like in building a business, is you need to have thought about whether the necessary conditions for the unit that you're building exist in that organization, mm. right? Uh, because otherwise you will face a transplant rejection when you yeah. kind of bring this in. <laughs> yeah. and, and, so, um, and so I think, you know, um, in, in the context of, of building the, the China unit, I knew that our organization had a track record of being willing to try new things, uh, even if they they fail, and that there was, um, you know, it, it was accepted as a part of, of innovating, you know. Um, and, um, and I also knew that, you know, the incentive structure, uh, you know, lent itself to being able to, to build a team. It, it, it would be attractive for people to leave different roles and, and, and join this mission. Uh, I knew that um, the way in which we designed our products and negotiated our commercials um, allowed a level of flexibility, which going into a market like China would be necessary. So um, I think those are some of the things that you you need to think really, really carefully about when you build a unit within a business. And I think the last thing I would say is um, you need to know that launching it and starting is truly just the beginning mm. a lot of the real work will begin will begin after you've launched yes. where you have to make sure stakeholders uh, remain supportive share um, all of the wins be transparent as well around what's not going well that gives people a lot of comfort that nothing is being hidden and I think you know and, and I've done this a couple of times um, right you know post that I um, I did it uh, building a a new marketing unit uh, in in retail financial services and and, and many different uh, units within Jumo, and you know truly for me I think that is a formula that um, is proven and and which certainly I have refined and found super useful over the years. Did you have a mentor throughout this because you were taking on a beast you had never done this before? How did you tackle that? Yeah, so I mean. Um, in 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 the in the first opportunity with with the China business, I actually didn't have a mentor, certainly not in um, wow. in a formal way um, that we talk about it. But I'll okay. tell you what: one thing I've always had is a, a really strong network uh, of people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we <laughs> we used to have like a, a young professionals club um, that used to meet at, at at our apartment, and we would share. I what love that. Saying. And we would share things that were happening to us um, in 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 our various workplaces, and and we were all doing very very different things. So bringing a huge diversity of experience. Um, some of my friends were uh, in consulting, so working for the big four consulting firms. 
some were in advertising, some were in banking. Um, and so really when we came together, I think that um, we essentially created um, just an incredible resource for ourselves mm. um, without even having mentors per se. Awesome. In in the beginning of this conversation, you touched on your MBA paper and um, the topic that you touched on, I think is so interesting. First of all, my team hosted a clubhouse room surrounding the topic. Is there a new unicorn coming to Africa? And many participants mentioned they don't want to see a Western fintech come into the African market and dominate, but would rather see an African-born payments business thrive. Butle, we chatted about your MBA paper touching on why we're not seeing the full benefits of financial inclusion in South Africa and, and how this ties into the emerging markets not creating innovative products. This is a loaded question, but what is the reason for this and, and how do we solve it? Can we solve it? Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, I'm going to try to be to be brief. So okay. um, I am um, an optimist. So you know, my answer to to that will be yes, we can solve it. Um, I think I have um, just a, a kind of bottomless um, belief in the the ingenuity on on this continent and 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 in South Africa as well. So I believe we can solve it, but I think. Um, what that will take is us really facing up to what the challenges are, right? And uh, we spoke, um, you know, earlier on in this conversation around capital, you know, Um, he who has the capital or she who has the capital, uh, you know, makes the rules. And I think that um, unless we can solve the issue of access to capital in order to build, um, you know, th- this will this will remain a problem, and I think a lot has actually been said in in the African um, tech ecosystem around this: who gets funded, who gets the best terms, and mm. why. So that is something that we we have to we have to address head on, right? Um, and then I think the other thing that we we need to look at is um, whether you know companies can actually get a startups that is can can actually get a a, a chance to grow to unicorn status yeah. um, in the South African context in particular one of the things that was quite interesting in my research was that um, we could see this acquisition trail um, so most of the businesses that um, really had good product market fit and um, gained reasonable momentum, were typically acquired um, by the banks. Now, this in and of itself is not a bad thing. Mm. Um, but the the what I what I did is I actually also interviewed some of these startups that had been acquired to understand what changed about them post that, right? Because I was also looking at um, their product development cycle, um, you know, even just how their communication and and things like that changed uh, post acquisition. And, um, you know, one of the things that became apparent was that it was quite difficult to to maintain that innovative culture um, yeah. post-acquisition. Um, and so um, some of the ideas I, I toyed around with in my dissertation was that um, because capital is, is so important and being well-funded is so important, perhaps um, different structures need to be explored in terms of how 
these businesses are are kind of absorbed into the into the larger larger structures. So so that's so that was one thing. Okay. Then the the second thing is around um, barriers to entry, right? And I think um, you know regulation is absolutely necessary, and I'm a huge fan, right? Because yeah. consumers need to be protected. But I think that um, it's a really challenging space because sometimes what happens is um, in trying to protect and empower the end consumer. Um, regulation can introduce very high costs of compliance, mm. right? Now, these can be in the form of licensing or just all of the different things that a company is required to do in order to fully comply and participate in a highly regulated space, which typically anything to do with finance, technology, yes. and processing of information is, right? So, unfortunately, what that means is that um, there are very few players that can actually um, scale those hurdles and, you know, just get a ticket to the game in the first place. And I think that um, what we've seen is that in in other African countries, the regulators have been quite progressive here, whether it's by creating sandboxes or Mm. saying that, you know what, we'll allow you to innovate for a while and then regulate when we have a better understanding of what is actually happening, right? And I think... um, that's something which is which is really important. And the last kind of theme, um, which I think is is worth exploring here, is um, is one that is about diversity, right? And mm-hmm. I think that um, you know when um, when you don't have um, diversity and variety, you just are not really setting yourself up. Um, for uh, a system that can scale and that will foster the growth of future unicorns, right? So you have to create the conditions that allow for this uh, for this diversity in terms of who gets to to participate, um, and that means you know really being open to some of the the, the leaders uh, coming from slightly different backgrounds. Uh, in terms of their their skills, so you know, not necessarily everyone having a, a classical banking background, for instance, yeah. in financial services. Um, and I think that's that's more of a social thing. Um, and uh, but I think that shift does definitely need to happen. Diversity is a topic we can both talk about for hours. Moving towards a more controversial topic, focusing on gender diversity and pay equity. How do we? move away from pay secrecy? So I think the the first thing with, um, you know, the this kind of shroud of secrecy that surrounds remuneration is we need to get people to um, buy into the benefits of transparency, right? Um, mm. And I, I think, you know, whenever I've spoken about this topic, I can see people visibly get uncomfortable Mm. uh like what do you mean like you mean everybody's salary and one of the questions i always ask is who stands to gain by us hiding um what the remuneration structure in any organization is right and um and actually you know i i think the you know the, the the benefits by far um outweigh the negatives here but one of the things I've actually observed is that I think the root of this issue 
really comes from um, our discomfort as a society in talking about money, especially Mm -hmm. as it relates to personal finance. And I think that um, this is a discomfort and a shame that actually needs to be eradicated because um, far beyond just, uh, you know, issues of pay inequality, it hurts us in every sphere, right? Yes. Um, When you talk about things like over-indebtedness, right, that comes from, again, a secrecy and not talking about, you know, um, what can I truly afford? Um, When you talk about the um, impending retirement crisis, for us here in Africa, because we we have a very young population, but we are starting to, you know, to see some people getting into retirement age who who have no plan. And it's because we haven't spoken about that. There's no education around it as well. Like I am fortunate to have people surrounding me being like, Stacey, you need to have a retirement annuity. You, you should have started at 16. Um, but who's, who's helping us in this? Exactly. And, but what, what's worse, right, is that, you know, for, for some people, they think, um, okay, great, let me get a retirement policy. But again, we're not talking about money deeply enough. So we don't mm. talk about what, what is a wise investment strategy. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, have you looked at, you know, your, your total effective rate that you're paying on your investments or are they just being eroded by, you know, some <laughs> investment banker that's yes. driving around in a fancy car? And, um, and for us to get to those truly important conversations that will help us build and transfer wealth and close the gap where there's inequality, we need to stop um, treating money like it's a, it's a taboo subject because it's not. it's very, very simple as far as I'm concerned. We wake up, we go to work, um, whether it's an entrepreneurial endeavor or for a company, we exchange our life energy for money. And we Mm -hmm. want to make sure that it is a fair exchange, right? Um, So let's put it on the table, equal work, equal pay, um, because you have one life. And every hour you give, you cannot get it back. It is too precious for us to, you know, kind of uh, um, tread like on eggshells around this yeah. issue. So, so for me, I think it, it's very much about us understanding that this is not a shameful topic, um, that if we bring it into the light, we stand to, to benefit more than we stand to lose. And that, in fact, this will create the platform for us to tackle so many other money issues that are truly standing between us and being able to, um, you know, be in to achieve financial freedom first, then to build wealth and then mm-hmm. to transfer wealth to future generations, right? Yeah. Um, because that is really what we need on this continent. We need to not only create wealth, but we need to create it in a way that we're able to pass it on to future generations. I remember my first job, I was paid 20% less than another male at the same level as me. And I was a higher performer looking at KPIs. And this was just a conversation we never had. I was just so confused how we could even position it this way. But then I went back to it and thought, okay, this was a, this was a salary I asked for. So there's also a lack of education on that side is how do we know what to ask for going into our first job? Because once we are at a certain level or at a certain income um, bracket, it's hard to it's hard to grow faster because when you go into your next position, they always ask for your previous pay slip. What do you think of this? 
Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, so 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 there there is there is that that tendency to kind of peg it to to your last job. So I spoke earlier on about you know how when I was kind of starting out my career, we had um, you know this this network of of friends and kind of a mentorship circle, as it were. Um, and one of the things, thinking back, um, I didn't think much of it at at the time, but we spoke about money. You know, mm. like we spoke about what we wanted to target and about the offers. And so um, what happened with that was that I actually started to to get a really good sense of um, pay per sector, um, really understand like, you know, if I had friends who worked in FMCG and they would go, you know, if I move from assistant brand manager to brand manager, this is what happens, mm. et cetera. And, and they would and they would share that. And that was incredibly helpful. And in fact, um, my part of my decision, you know, to to move from from tourism to um, the the financial services sector was just looking at, um, you know, what my income trajectory would would look like, right? Yeah. And um, and and I had a really good sense of that because we were having those conversations. So I think that's another resource that um, you know you really can use in order to to benchmark and ask for you know what your what you're worth and certainly mm. what that job should be should be paying um, i think there are starting to be more resources that uh, kind of scour you know each sector to to understand what the the salary ranges look like um, i still think there's insufficient information as far as yeah. that's concerned but at least it's moving slowly in the right direction Butler, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I I really, really enjoy chatting with you. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, talking about all of my favorite things. So thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you? Best place is on LinkedIn. Um, I I am on there quite regularly and I'm also on Twitter at Butler Gosler. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Success, Connecting the Global Fintech Community. Feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at Talent in the Cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent, expanding your team, or you yourself are looking for a new, exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.